I will respond. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Um, I keep finding myself in an interesting situation. Uh, I I find myself in these situations where um, I'm pinned down and I'm cornered and I can't go anywhere. And people find out what I do for a living and they decide, hey, this is a good time to quiz you and to ask you all the questions I've ever wanted to ask a pastor in my life. And so I find myself in these these times like, you know, I, um, I, 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 I... for those of you who are new, I dress like a pastor today. I don't know what was in me, um, but I am covered in tattoos. But I even woke up this morning and my wife goes, what are you doing? Is, did somebody die? Are you going to a funeral? No. Uh, but, um, but I'm covered in tattoos. And so I have this tattoo artist. And the first time that he tattooed me, um, you know, we start and I mean, I'm, I'm laid out. My arm is like this. I'm pinned down to this table. I'm not going anywhere for the next six and a half hours. And he goes, well, while I got you here, I've always wanted to ask uh, a pastor, you know, the, the earth is flat, right? And I go, oh boy, here we go. You know? And uh, we talked about all kinds of, I love my tattoo artist, Jason. He's a great guy. Uh, we have some great conversations, but uh, I, I'm, I'm very much aware now that there are lizards in the center of the earth who are running the White House and uh, all, all kinds of interesting things that I've heard. Or, you know, I have a chiropractor. This happened just a couple weeks ago. I have this chiropractor, my friend, Nate, uh, who I go see, and he's got me on his table, and he's a sports doctor and stuff. And he's got me on his table. I got my shirt off. I got needles in me. I got cups sucking me. I got all kinds of things going on. And he goes, you know, while I got you here, I've always wanted to have a chiropractor. I started laughing because I'm like, is this like a running joke? Like, am I getting punked or something, you know? And he's like, what are you laughing about? I was like, man, just go ahead. This happens to me all the time. He goes, well, anyway, I read this book on physics and then I went and saw Avatar 2. And so what I'm thinking is, is like what you call the Holy Spirit is what the Navari referred to. And I'm like, I'm done. I quit. You know what? Next time somebody asks me what I do for a living, I'm just going to tell them, like, a CrossFit coach or something, you know, because or, I mean, it happens all the time, you know, people cut my hair and stuff like this, and they're like, oh, I got you here, I've shaved half your head, you know, I mean, you're not going anywhere else, let me ask you these questions, and here's what I've learned, being, being in the world and being among people and having these conversations, is that when it comes to our worldview, these days, it's easy to see life the way we want to. It's so easy to see life the way we want to, especially today. I mean, people, people, we do this all the time, and people take advantage of this even all the time. That, that people understand that there's a certain way I think the world works based on my experiences, based on my knowledge, based on what I've read. I, I think this is how the world works. And this is how I prefer the way the world to work. And so now you can, you can do this a la carte in so many different ways. I mean, you can watch the news channel that's bent towards your direction. You could uh, listen to this certain medical profession that's bent this direction. I mean, you can kind of pick and choose whomever agrees with you or sees the world the way that you see it. And, and the thing is, is, is that when it comes to being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, many times we do the same thing with Jesus. So many times, and again, I hear this and I catch this as a pastor all the time. People come in and they have this view or this opinion, belief about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And again, it's based on their past experiences. It's based on what they've read. It's based on the conclusions that they've drawn. And even people, it's, it's amazing how differing our beliefs and our views and our theology of Jesus can be. Uh, even though we all call ourselves Christians. And the thing is, is that we, we, we kind of have to come to an understanding about this. Because as Christians, it's very important that we come to an understanding about some of these things. Because we could misre- misrepresent Christ very easily. If, we, if we're not careful, we could be bad representatives of the kingdom of God. But the other thing is, too, is for our own soul, for our own safety, for, for, for knowing what's truly best for us and understanding who God wants us to be. We, we have to understand who Jesus is so we can understand who we should grow to be. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is, then we'll miss an opportunity. We'll not just misrepresent God, but we'll not become who we were created to be or who he sees the, the best of us being. That, that citizen of heaven, right? So... 
Today, we're, we're going to talk over the next few weeks, we're going to talk for three weeks um, about some of these things. That The name of the series is called Things Jesus Never Said. And because there are many things that Jesus never said that we, some for some reason, believe and we get confused about. Things that, that we've heard maybe even in church lingo or, or church language that actually isn't even anything that Jesus said. And so we're going to talk about this next few weeks. I'm really excited because week three, my dad's actually going to be here and my dad's going to preach to you guys and stuff. Um, so that's going to be really cool. But, but today, the, the reason today is so sensitive is because it's a sensitive subject, but it, it, is, it is the bottom line. It is the core foundation that, that Jesus brings to us. And it's the, the core thing, it's the base layer that we have to understand, that we have to grasp to even start to unpack who Jesus is. And, and the thing we're going to talk about today is forgiveness. It's just tough, which is hard, which is very personal, and it's very emotional. But, but, but you guys know this, and, I mean, and a lot of this won't be anything new to you, but you know that for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, right? I mean, Jesus came to die for our sins so that we could be pardoned for our sins, to, to forgive us of our sins. But, but as much as we are know that or we are aware of that, we, we have to understand the gravity of it and understand the true expression of forgiveness that Jesus came to show us because it matters to our life and it matters to our relationship with him. So just one way to explain this, Paul, you know, he wrote this letter to Ephesus. I love the way Paul explained this so many different times, but I love the way he wrote it to the Ephesians. He said, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, again, you've heard this before, right? Jesus came, and we're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we could ever do to earn his grace or to earn his forgiveness. But he came to freely give this gift of forgiveness to us. Now, Again, you've heard this before, but let me just maybe unpack this for you in a way that you've never heard this before. Here's what you've got to understand. God, God was the offended party. God was the offended party. God was the one who was treated unfairly. God is the one who has every, every right to be upset with us, to be angry with us, to, to take his, his judgment and his wrath out upon us. But he didn't do that. Here's one way to put it. The offended party made the first move to forgive and reconcile our broken relationship. That's amazing, isn't it? The offended party, the offended party, the one that had every right to be upset, to to put a hand up, to put us at a distance, to be done with us. The offended party is the one who made the first move. To forgive us. But this is so important. And this is, this is what's going to turn your crank today. Not just to forgive us. But to reconcile a broken relationship. Now, when we get into the Gospels and when we get to where Jesus talks about this. You have to understand, this was, this was new to them. When, when, when they ask Jesus, like, what's the most important command? What's the thing? Like, what's the thing thing, Jesus? Give us, give us the bottom line here. Uh, Mark, uh, he, he wrote it down. It, it came from Peter. He, he said when he, Jesus said this, he said, well, it's very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like this. And when it says like this, it means it's just as equally important. It's like a coin with two sides. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Here's what you got to understand. It, for, from all, for all of time before that, it was me and you, God, me and you, God, me and you, God. Everything's between me and you, God. And they say, what's the greatest command? And Jesus, he introduces this, this brand new thing that was going to be so important. It was going to lay the groundwork for this covenant that he was going to make with his people from here till the end of time. Is Here's the thing. I want you to love God, but I also want you to love one another. It's no longer this to this. It's this to this. And how you love this to this matters to this to this. It's all about loving God and loving 
people, and for people, they, they were baffled by this. They're like, uh, that's not what we grew up hearing. That's not how we've understood. I thought it's just between me and you, God, and I can feel however I want to feel about that person or about that, that neighbor. I, it's, they have nothing to do with my relationship with you. And Jesus goes, oh, no, they have everything to do with my relationship with you. And then... He starts preaching and he starts traveling and he starts giving these sermons. and He starts laying the groundwork for the way his kingdom operates. And here's the thing. We've got to understand this. When he starts to lay the groundwork for how his kingdom operates, he's talking about heaven. He's trying to prepare us for heaven. He goes, look, here's the deal. When you get here, this is what it's going to look like. So you got to practice it now. you got to practice it now because i got to know that you can do it for all of eternity. So I'm trying to get you ready. How you live on this earth is going to show me if you can do this for eternity with one another. And so he starts talking about, you know, all these different things that his kingdom looks like. And he even gets to this one spot. He gets to his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that he probably preached so many times because it just gave us all of the, the layers of his kingdom. And he T- tells them at one point how to pray, right? We sang that awesome song, CJ let us in, you know, the, 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 the prayer, the father's prayer. And, and when he sat them down and he told them to pray, you guys all know it. I'm not going to read it all to you, but he gets to this one part where everybody would have been like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gets to this one part where people went, excuse me, what, huh? Uh, what did he just say? And it would have been this part right here when he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors you got to understand, that would have made everybody go, what did he say? Right? Because in that moment, that was so countercultural to everything they'd ever heard. In the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, I mean, it was eye for an eye, man. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Literally, if somebody stole something from you, you could steal something of theirs. If somebody took your right arm, you could take their right arm too. That was how it worked back in the day. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to lay up these layers and these ideas of what his kingdom looks like. He talks about loving God and loving people. And he goes, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Forgive us, but only forgive me as much as I have forgiven other people. People went, what is he talking about? Is he, is he out of his mind? And Jesus knew this stirred the pot because he kept having to come back around and explain it more and more and more. And so he says it plain as Jane to them at one point. At one point, he wants them to know how serious he is. And he says this, he goes, I, I need you to know this. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. If you forgive other people, then I will also forgive you. But he goes on and he says, but let me tell you something. If you do not forgive other people, if you do not forgive other people, I will not forgive you. That's how how serious he is. He unpacks it even further. He tells them, he goes, hey, you guys think that the the be-all, end-all is going to the temple and worshiping me? He goes, let let me tell you how serious I am about this. He says this. He says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This was how serious he was. And you've got to understand, traveling to the temple wasn't like coming to church today. Okay, Traveling to the temple, going to the temple was days worth of journey. It was preparation. It was like, okay, we're going to the temple. Everybody get your bags packed. It's going to be a couple days. It's going, we're going to have to prepare the food. We're going to have to do this. I mean, it was just exhaustive how many things they had to do to get ready, get your sacrifice ready. Go there, get in line, wait your turn, go through these chambers. And then Jesus says, I want you to know, if you go through all of that, go through days of preparation and getting to the temple, and you wait in line, and you go through all the chambers, and you finally get your chance to go to the altar and lay down your offering. But at that point, point in time, you remember, you remember that there is something against your brother or your brother has something against you. I want you to get up and leave. I want you to get up and leave. And I don't want you to come back until you've reconciled the relationship. Think about that. Think about how intense that is. I mean, Jesus is laying this groundwork and he's saying, here's the thing. I want you to know this. I will forgive you. I will always forgive you, but I will only forgive you as much as you forgive 
other people. And I am so serious about this that if you come to worship me and you come to give me the glory and you come to lay offerings at my feet, I am not interested in them. You need to go and reconcile that relationship. Wow. Okay, so let's all bow our heads and let a couple people leave. You know, this is not a good time to go to the bathroom, by the way. Uh, but if we took it seriously, that's exactly what we would do. If we took it seriously, then I would literally get texts and emails from people that said, hey, I know I'm on the serve schedule this week, but I have something going on with somebody, and I cannot attend church until I fix it. I, I can't serve on the serve schedule until I've reconciled this relationship. And this is amazing. This is amazing because for the offended party, this is so offensive, right? Right? For the offended party, this is so offensive because you're going, you're telling me, you're telling me that if I get to the altar and I remember that there's some, that I have ill will towards somebody else because of what they've done to me, I'm the victim here and you're telling me I've got to get up from the altar and I've got to go reconcile that relationship? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. And for the offender who honestly doesn't really care, doesn't give a rip, doesn't realize nine times out of ten that they have offended somebody else. For you, here, here's what that should tell you. This is how much God loves you. God loves you so much that even when you are the offender, God tells the offended, you need to go to them and try to reconcile the relationship because they want you to be redeemed. That's how much God loves you. But Jesus, he, he lays all this out. This is, these are in the Gospels. These are, these are the pieces of Scripture that we've preached about for years. Many of you, you know this. This is not anything new to you. But here's the thing. Jesus was so serious about the terms of his covenant, yet we don't take it very seriously. Do we? He was very serious about the terms of his covenant, but we don't take it very seriously. Because if we were in front of God today, or if you were to come and talk to me after service or something, here's what you would say. You would say, yeah, but. Go back to that, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but you, you haven't heard my story. Yeah, but you don't know what they said to me. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but you don't understand. This isn't the first time. This is like the eighth time that I've had to deal with this. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And look, I understand. I've heard it. I've heard it all. I've heard some terrible stories. I've heard some things that, and I listen to people's pain, and it is completely justified. It is completely understood. It, it, it breaks my heart, some of the stories that I have to hear. But the thing is, is Jesus didn't say, forgive them, or I will not forgive you. Well, unless it's, you know, like this kind of situation or, you know, forgive them. But I mean, if they do something like really, really bad, totally understood. Not, not a big deal. Yeah, totally. You know? Oh, yeah, but no, 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 no. Here, here's what Jesus said. You can't make anything up. You can't insert anything else. You can't try to, try to mentally understand all this. This is what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, forgive as I forgave you period. Forgive as I forgave you. And when he said, forgive as I forgave you, he meant forgive in the same way that I forgave you. Not how you picture forgiving other people, but how I chose to forgive you. So let me ask you a question. Is there anyone you need to forgive this morning? Is there anyone you need to forgive? Now, again, I know this stirs up all kinds of feelings, all kinds of emotions, right? I can see the arms starting to get crossed. I put a light in the back so I could start seeing you guys a little bit better, right? <laughs> this gets that feeling going, right? 
You're going to be tempted right now to get your phone out and get on Facebook because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna want to block me out. Go ahead, look at that neighbor next to you who has their phone out. You know, it's okay. Right? You're going to feel like that. You're not going to feel like doing this. Now, now, here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, you're sitting here this morning, you're like, Jesus forgave me. I don't care. I don't even believe that yet. Cool. This is the easiest sermon in the world for me, right? Let me tell you why forgiveness matters to you. For forgiveness, forgiveness is as much for you as it is for them. Okay? I, this, isn't a, this isn't a church thing. This isn't a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing. If you came here this morning and you don't believe in any of this, somebody drag, drug you here, let me give you some free counseling advice, all right? You don't even have to pay me for this. This is just free counseling today for this first part, okay? Here's the thing. I love the way Dave, Dave Wills, he says it. He, he says it like this. He goes, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're not motivated because you have no relationship with Jesus. That's totally fine. But let me tell you why forgiveness still needs to be an option on your plate. Because forgiveness is not as much about them as it is for you. Because as you hold on to that, it does not make you stronger. It makes you more bitter. It, it, does, it doesn't, forgiving them, you think of it as, I'm not giving them that. That's weakness. No, that, that's not weakness. That is you setting yourself free. See, the thing is, is when somebody wounds you, offends you, or hurts you, it is like you are in a jail cell that you have the keys to. And here's the thing. The person offended you, they're often living their life. They don't care. Okay? That's why it was so easy for them to do it. They said their piece or they did their thing or they took advantage of you and they gave into their selfishness. And here's the thing. They're off living their life. They're not coming by your jail cell, checking on you, seeing how upset you are and, and, and crying tears over, over what you're going through. They're not. They're off and running, living their life. They're free. So why are you keeping yourself self captive mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in this jail cell when you have the ability to take the key that's in your pocket, put it in your jail cell and let yourself be free. You're not, the only way you can do that is through forgiveness. It's through letting go. And some of us, we go, well, I can't let this go. It makes it seem like it's not a big deal. No, that's not what it does at all. Forgiveness doesn't do that. Here's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness doesn't make what they did okay. It makes you okay. It helps you to move on. It helps you to be set free. It helps you to go live your life the way that they are continuing on to live their life. So here's the thing. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is just free counseling advice. This is what any counselor would tell you, is that you need to find a way to forgive. Now, outside of Jesus, I can't tell you how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that without Jesus. I don't know. Go see somebody else who you know, will take your, your money and your time. But I know you need to do it. It's a universal thing. See, it's amazing to me the things that God tells us to do. Even people who don't believe in God believe that this is what is best for you, but, but they're missing the God piece of it. But for those of you who do follow Jesus, for those of you who do call yourself a Christian, here's the bad news for you today. This is not a question of if, this is a question of must. This is a question of are you, are you going to do this or not? Because if you don't, are you really a Christian? And I love the way that, that Andy Stanley puts it. He put this, and years ago I read this, and I wrote it down, and I've used this so many different times. He said this. He says, for Christians, it's different. In the shadow of my hurt, hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. See, for Christians, we, we, don't, we don't get an option here. We have to forgive. We have to forgive in the way that God forgave us with that same brand, that same style, that same type of forgiveness. Now, again, this is something that even though as, as Christians, Christians, we get this wrong all the time. Because, again, we grew up with things that Jesus never said. We grew up with our parents telling us, you remember this? They used to tell us this, forgive and forget. Right? Forgive and forget. But Jesus never said this. These are things Jesus never said. Jesus never said, forgive and forget. But that's how we take it. Well, what am I supposed to do? Just forgive and forget that this ever happened? No, it's not what Jesus is saying at all. 
But also, too, over time, this is what we do as Christians. As Christians, we go, oh, I get it. I'm supposed to forgive. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do as a good Christian. This is what I call being a good Christian today. I'm going to forgive and forget you. Forgive and forget you. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you forgive somebody in your heart. I forgave you in my heart, but I can't have a relationship with you anymore. What is that? Oh, I forgive you, man. I want you to know I listen to pastor's sermon on Sunday and I forgive you in my heart. But I don't want to talk to you anymore. I want you to know I said a prayer. I went down and did the spiritual thing. I went and got right with God. I forgive you, but God, I don't want to see you at Christmas next year. That's what we do, right? Forgive and forget you. I want you to know I forgave you in my heart, but you are not on my friends list anymore. I don't want to text with you. I don't want to talk with you. I don't want a relationship with you. And we do this halfway, half done thing of I'll forgive you and I'll see you at church or I'll see you at the family thing or I'll see you at work and I'll smile and I'll go, hey, how are you? Okay, great. And I'll turn around and go, dad. Gosh, I can't stand her. Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what he said to me? But I forgave him in my heart, so I'm right with Jesus. That's what we do. Forgive and forget you, but here's... The thing that you're missing, and this is why I've never preached like this before. I've never said this before, but the Spirit just laid it on my heart. We have to understand that when Jesus says, forgive as I have forgiven you, he was telling us to forgive in the way that he forgave us. And here's the thing you're not going to want to hear. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us. He came to be reconciled to us. You are not supposed to just forgive somebody in your heart. You are to be reconciled in your broken relationships. How in the world do you do that? Well, we're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome. And he wrote him this letter. And really, if you understand the context, you understand how bizarre this this really sounds. Because Paul writes this letter to all the Christians in Rome. And this is during a time where Christians are being persecuted by the emperor Nero. This is a time where Christians are in conflict with everybody. They're, They're considered terrorists to the world. And they're dealing with this emperor who is trying to kill them. They're dealing with neighbors who are catching their cousins or their brothers and their sisters in Christ and putting them to death. And what are they supposed to do with that? There are literal neighbors and co-workers and people who are killing their brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you supposed to do with that? And Paul writes him this letter in the middle of this. And he tells him this. He goes, your love must be sincere. Excuse me? What? My love? What love? Oh, you know, you're supposed to love God and love people, you know? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Remember how we went all of that? Yeah, yeah, I know. But this is the situation, Paul. Paul didn't care. Think about this. Think about how bold. I mean, you and I, you know, I'm I'm talking to you, but you're going to email me and DM me this week, all kinds of nasty stuff, right? So you get to respond. They didn't get to respond to Paul. How bold of Paul to just write this letter and tell them, hey, you know how you're called to love? I just wanted to remind you, your love must be sincere. And what he means by that is your love must be genuine. Your love must be real. What I'm saying is, is not, we're not going to cordially get along. We're not going to just have this peaceful no man's land between us. And when we see each other, we'll smile, but that'll be the end of it. He's saying, no, 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 it must be sincere. It must be genuine. You must actually love that person. You cannot keep a no man's land between you and that person. You, You must be reconciled in your relationship. Your love must be genuine, real, and sincere. And you would say, and they would say, reading this letter, but you haven't heard our story. And Paul says, I don't need to. Which seems like, excuse me? No, my story matters. Paul goes, no, it doesn't to this. Wow. That's harsh. That's not cool. It's it's almost like Paul knows something that we don't. What could that be? I'm going to spoil the end of the sermon for you, okay? But, but this, is, this is the goal. This is what Paul was trying to get them to. The goal 
The goal is to see that person the way my heavenly father sees that person. That's what Paul was trying to get them to understand. Why it had to be sincere. Why it had to be real. Because you guys are not understanding this. I know your story. I know these things. But here's the thing. You have to see that person the way your heavenly father sees that person. And he goes on. He says this to him. He says, your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. He said, how in the world are you supposed to do this? How in the world could your love be sincere to a person who has offended you, who has hurt you, who has emotionally damaged you, who has taken something from you? How in the world are you supposed to do that? Paul goes, I know how you feel. I know you, we can't say this, but hate that person. I know you hate that person right now. But here's what I want you to do. Don't hate that person. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You know what Paul was trying to get us to do? It's the same, same understanding of God's nature. We, we have to learn. We have to practice this. We have to teach ourselves this because it's not natural. It's not innate. We have to learn how to hate a what, not a who. Hate a what, not a who. I hate what they did to me. I hate what they texted me. I hate what they said to me. Yeah, but it came from that person. Yeah, I understand. But you got to see what God sees, okay? God looks at that person and he loves them. And the way that he's able to do that is he sees them and he loves that person. But inside of that per person, because of brokenness and sin and experiences, they are insecure as a person. They have zero confidence. And so God goes... Here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to hate that insecurity in them. But when they communicate to me, it is so harsh. It is so cutting. It is just so full of, uh, I know, you know what? Hate the way they communicate, but don't hate that person. I hate the way they, they text. <laughs> I just really hate the way they text. I know, but don't hate the person. God loves the person. You need to see the person the way that God sees that person. I, I Don't hate the person. Hate what, they, what they're going through. Hate their inability to communicate well. Hate that for some reason they, they lack this confidence to be able to deal with things the, the healthy way that you're supposed to deal with these things. Hate that they can't have a phone conversation with you or a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. That they're, we have to speak through email or we have to do this. Hate that, but don't hate the who. And here's the thing that that allows us to do. When you, when you hate a what and not a who, you can see the good in them too. I know, it's great rhyming today. I was super proud of that when I wrote that. Like I typed it out and I said, Alyssa, look at this. I'm Dr. Seuss. She goes, it should be in red with a red background. But that's the truth. When you hate a what and not a who, you can see the good in them too. And for me, this explained so much for me this week. I was able to finally articulate, because my wife, y'all drive me crazy. You all drive me crazy. Half the time at my house, I read your texts and I read your posts and I see things and I go, you know, and Kate's like, why are you so, why are you so bothered by that? Why when people do these things, do they bother you? And this finally put it into perspective for me. And I understand what God must feel like sometime and what Paul is talking about. I, I told Kate, I said, you got to understand, I'm never mad at these people. I'm never mad. I'm, I, I, I don't hate anyone. I'm not, I just, I, I, I know I shouldn't be bothered by other people's actions, but as their pastor, as their shepherd, as their friend, as somebody who loves them and wants the best for them, when they do something like this, I hate it for them because I know it's stealing a part of what God has in store for them. And I'm not mad at them. I'm not upset with them. When I respond, I'm not upset with them. I don't hate the who. I hate the what they are going through. I hate that they have this inability to do this. I hate this brokenness in their life. That is what breaks my heart. That is what gets me amped up because I know it's stealing something that God has in store for them. I know it's stealing from them the best that God has for them. That is what I hate. I don't hate them. I'm not mad at them. I'm not bothered by them. I, the, only, the reason I do care when they do something bonehead or when they say something bonehead is because I love them so much. Because I hate 
that they're having to go through that. And I hate that they are doing that. And I hate that that's happening in their relationships. I hate that. I don't hate the who. Paul goes on and he goes, be devoted to one another. What are you talking about? These people are persecuting us. These people are hurting us. These people are offending us. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. That word honor in that Greek, do you know what that word means? That means to put the person behind you, in front of you. You mean I'm supposed to take the person who offended me? I'm supposed to take the person who hurt me? And I'm supposed to honor them? I'm supposed to say, you first. Go ahead. I'm supposed to defer to them? Paul goes, yes, that's what I want you to do. I want you to defer to that person who has offended you. Because your love must be sincere. I want you to put them first. I want you to honor them. And elsewhere he'd say, in the same way that God first honored you. And then he says this, he says, and bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. He has to be very specific. Bless, do not curse. Bless, do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Here's the thing, man. You got to understand, at that point in time, the people who are reading this letter are actually being persecuted. Okay, I know you have a squabble right now with your Aunt Karen right now, but she is not persecuting you. Okay? Nobody, none of us are being persecuted. But he says, even those who may persecute you, I want you to bless them. Bless, do not curse. Be a blessing to them. And then he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You know what this does? This, you're going to hate this. This takes out every excuse under the sun to not be first to reconcile this relationship. Because I know what you do. I know what you're doing right now. And that, per- that person that you have this thing with, right? You are not going to make the first move, are you? Uh-uh. You're not going to make the first move. You're not going to take the first step in that direction. You're waiting for them. You're waiting for them to apologize first. You're waiting for them to come to you, especially if you're the offended party. If you're the offended party, there's no way you're going to make the first step because you have no reason to take the first step. Why in the world would you take the first step? And the only explanation to any of this, the only answer I can give you to any of this, if you question me on this, if you disagree with me on this, is the only answer I can give you is because this is the clearest expression of God's love. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. But he says, do not be proud. Ouch. Do not be proud. It is your pride that is keeping you with your arms folded and keeping you from taking the first step towards reconciling that relationship. I'm not going first. I have nothing to be sorry about. I did nothing wrong. They started it, and I am just waiting. I am forgiving, and I am forgetting you until you give me a reason not to forget you. That's where we're at. Well, here's the thing. Paul says, you can't do that. Why can't I do that? Because it's what Jesus did for you. Jesus, God, was the offended party. And he was not so proud that he kept you at a distance. He did not forget you. Instead, he came to reconcile a relationship with you. And you were the one in the low position. He says, do not be so proud and do not be so conceited to think that you should not be the one that should reconcile this relationship. Even if you are the offended party, it is your responsibility to take the first step because that is the clear expression of God's love and how he loved us is how we're supposed to love one another and he says so do not repay evil for evil and here's the thing today we're so crafty gosh we're so good you know we don't We would be evil, like, I'm going to get back at them, some kind of revenge, something like we would see in a movie, right? But here's the thing we do. We do repay evil for evil today. We repay evil for evil in all kinds of manipulative ways. Oh, especially you Christians. Oh, you guys. Oh, you guys are the best at this, right? Because if I want to repay, if somebody says something wrong to me, well, I'll just not help them anymore. I'm not, no, I'm not getting back at them. I just decided... 
a few hours later that I'm not going to help him anymore. What's the big deal with that, you know? Or I'm not going to talk to you anymore. We're on a timeout break. We're not going to talk to each other anymore. We're not going to talk anymore. Um, we're just going to be cordial with one another. Because I just, that's what I need. That, that's, that's, that's your way to repay them. I want you to see me and be reminded what you said to me and be reminded, though, that I don't want a relationship with you. And every time you see me, remember that there's this buffer, there's this no man lands between us, and we're not going to talk to each other. We're on, a, we're on a break. Because I forgave you in my heart, Jesus Christ, but I forget you. I forget you. We are so full of it. There is so much evil in that. Do you understand how much Satan takes joy in that? Especially when it happens in the church. It makes me sick as a pastor when I see that in the church. It makes me sick. Because I'm like, wow, good job, guys. Forgave in your heart, but allowed the devil to put that wedge in between us now. Fantastic. And thanks for putting me in that spot where I have to look at the two of you who, and I know, have this wedge between of you. You don't want to sit in a room together. Or you don't want to serve on a team together. Or you don't want to go to church together. And now I'm in the middle of that wedge. Thanks for putting us all in that position. That's not who we are. That's not who Christians are. That's not, the, that's not what the expression of love that Christ showed us. We're not to repay evil for evil. We are not called... To get back at. We're supposed to forgive in the way that Jesus forgave us. And the way that Jesus forgave us is he made an attempt to get back to. Because God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness was a means to an end and reconciliation was that end. You got to understand, when I, when I ask you that question, who do you need to forgive? I'm not asking you who you need to forgive in your heart. I'm asking you who you need to be reconciled with. Who you need to make an attempt to get back to. Now, I told you you would hate this message. And this is hard, and this is tough, and it's challenged me even this week. But there's a, a testimony in our church of somebody who has lived through this and lived this out in probably the best way that I've ever seen it lived out. And I had the privilege this week of recording his testimony. And as we end today, I want you to watch this. So back in 2020... Uh, I went through a divorce. Um, it was unexpected. It wasn't what I planned for. Um, and it went through a difficult time. I mean, COVID was going on back then as well. Um, and then that on top of it, it was... And then having to be a single dad, it was just really unexpected. And um, I remember going through counseling and I I mean I remember talking to the counselor and him finally telling me you know I think you're good and kind of sending me on my way and I mean I did feel good and I th thought I had forgiven her but I still remember times where I would dwell on um, <laughs> that that experience and all those bad emotions and just being frustrated and angry um, with her with the situation and not really actually forgiving her and uh, I mean I think about a year had passed and I still don't know that I had really fully forgiven her um, and I think it had come, like I said about a year passed and we were at a football game one night for Seth, who's uh, one of his football games. And some, she had some stuff going on in her life uh, that was unexpected for her. And she just kind of broke down in front of me and was just super upset. And, you know, I, in that moment, I could have said, you know, 
that's what you get or you deserve that. I mean, the world would probably say that. I kind of felt like I wanted to say something of that nature as well. But that would, all the things that God had tried to build up in me over the years of love, kindness, patience, forgiveness, mercy, grace. Um, God doesn't necessarily, like, there will be times where, well, in that time, I remember saying, God, please take this from me. Please make this better. And I don't think that from listening to Mike and everything, uh, what he's talked about, God doesn't usually just make things better. He gives us the tools to do that on our own or with him. And in that moment, I would have undone all of that work had I said, serves you right or too bad. Instead, I remember like saying, telling her, you know, I'm sorry. Um, is there anything I can do to help you or whatever? Um, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think in that moment, that was when I really, truly did forgive her. Um, and from then on, we've, it's not like it was before and it's not like it was after the divorce. It's somewhere in between, I guess, our relationship now. Um, we get along um, well enough and for the boys' sake. I guess I was able to show the boys that, or at least I hope I can, I hope they see this looking back that I, you can go through a crappy situation and still come out of it better. You need to have God by your side to have him with you. I couldn't have done that on my own, everything. None, none of those qualities of forgiveness and mercy were within me. They, became, they came from him. idea how deep that story cuts. You have no idea the gory details of it. I'll tell you a detail that Bo won't ever say on tape. I keep waiting for him to say it, but he won't ever say it. He has a son and a stepson. And when he got divorced, what are you going to do with the stepson? You don't have any you know, connection or obligation. He said, no, and I when I got married, I, I told, asked him if he wanted me to be his dad, and I, I agreed to that. And so, even though we're getting a divorce, I'm still going to treat him like he's my son. That's Seth. He still takes care of that boy. I don't get it. That makes no sense. I would not do that. I'll be honest with you. I would not do that. Bo somehow finds a way in himself to do that. And he said it himself. It's not in me. None of you after service should go up to Bo and go, Bo, you are an amazing person. Because what Bo would say to you is, I am not an amazing person. He is. He, he has given me what I need. I, trust me, it is not in me. But he, he is greater. And he is doing a great work in me. And I would squander it and be spitting on it if I did not forgive in the way that he first forgave me. CJ found a terrific song as we were planning all of this about what happening is not okay. And I may not be okay. But the one who holds the world has me. Not telling you to get over whatever it is you've been through or whatever was said to you or whatever it is. But I cannot put it any more plainly that we are to love one another in the way that God has first loved us. Which means we are to forgive one another in the way that He has forgiven us. Which means we are to be reconciled to one another. We are to make an attempt to get back to even the people who have offended us. That's who we are called to be as Christians. 
And I love what Bo said. He says, I hope for my boy's sake. I hope my sons see this in me. I hope my sons see what I'm trying to do for them. The man I'm trying to be, the sacrifices I'm trying to make. I hope my boys see that. I hope I'm being a good example to them. Bo has done that. Can you? Well, I told you. It's decision time. I told you it'd be this way. I told you this would happen today. It's decision time. So, I don't know what you need to do. Some of you need to bolt out the room and go get your phone. That's what you need to do. Maybe you need to come down to the altar today. Again, I'm not keeping score. I don't have a scoreboard in my office. But maybe you need to come handle this and say, God, forgive me. I'm the offended party. But forgive me for forgiving in my heart, but forgetting them. I get it. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not going to get back at them. I'm going to get back too. Maybe that's what you need to do. It's between you and God. I'm just here to preach. So I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pull these altars out. And I'm going to let you and God handle it. While CJ leads you in worship. Will you stand with me this morning? Will you bow your heads with me? Father God. we come to you this morning feeling a lot of stuff feeling a lot of emotions lots going on but boy do we all know that there's some stuff stirring inside of us this morning God whatever you've done in Bo I pray you would do in me Would you help me to not forgive and forget somebody? But would you help me to be reconciled this morning? Would you help me to make a commitment this morning to be courageous, to be wise, to be strong, to not be proud, but to humble myself and put somebody else first? Would you hate me to help me to not hate them, but but hate the what? Hate what they're going through. Hate how they're feeling. Hate what they were tempted by. Will you help me to hate a what and not a who, God? And would you help me to get back to, would you help me to be reconciled in my broken relationship? What happens next is completely up to you, between you and God, and between the person you need to be reconciled to.